1, 2, and 3, and verse 28, since we only have four verses, we'll read uh, responsively, but just read verse number 2 and verse number 28 with me, please, in unison. I will read verses 1 and 3 myself, and as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand in respect to the reading of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 49, verses 1, 2, and 3, and verse 28, reading responsively. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Verse 28, reading together. Ready? All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is that with their fathers spake unto them and blessed them. Every one, according to his blessing, he blessed them. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, as we deal with Jacob's dozen boys this morning, speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray for every family that's represented in this room, Lord, and there are many of them. We pray, Lord, for our flawed families our blended families, our dysfunctional families, our hybrid families, our sinful families. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you can do. And we thank you for your amazing grace. We pray that you might speak to our hearts through your word, through the life of Jacob and his children this morning. And we'll thank you for it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me try to cut to the chase as quick as we can. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 49. I'd like to say a huge thank you to so many people. But let me just suffice it to say, I want to say, say thank you especially to the third and fourth string this morning. And many of them are not here to hear my voice here, but we have several folks uh, uh, that are normally not working with our children downstairs, but we have a number of people uh, in different places today, not just the fair, but uh, downstairs as well. And uh, some notables uh, out of action this morning here in California and wherever and uh, Maine and so forth, but uh, glad to have a, a good depth chart on our roster, of course, and thank you for all the behind-the-scenes people that do so much that never gets noticed, but by God and hopefully by me and uh, by a few, but th- thank you so much for all the work that's done around the house of God. With that said, Genesis 49, we want to look at a family today on this fourth message of our me and my real family, me and my perfect family, but me and my real family depth chart, if I can use that phrase again, and we look at uh, the Jacob's 12 sons this morning. I want you to notice this chapter is all about Jacob and his old age giving a blessing to his children, and notice the authority that he uses. Verse 1, it says, And Jacob, Genesis 49, called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that's an order, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. He's going to give a prophecy as well as a blessing. Gather yourselves together and hear, listen up, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Skip to verse 28 for time's sake. Between verses 3 and verse 27 are the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Israel, their blessings and the prophecies given about them. We get to verse 28, the Bible says, And these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is it that the Father spake unto them and blessed them. Every one, according to his blessing, he blessed them. We have a subtitle to our message, and I didn't steal this from anybody. 
Somebody had to write this. I'm probably, it's been written probably several times. But I want to take credit for this title. I don't know. It's a dirty title. Jacob's Dirty Dozen. Uh, I guess I watched a movie when I was a kid, a World War II movie, and I got that little phrase in my head, stuck in my head. And I put it in parentheses because we could have sent Jacob's Dozen, his baker's dozen. Of course, he had one daughter named Dinah. We'll talk about her in a few moments, Lord willing. But Jacob's Dirty Dozen... These 12, remember Jacob, his name is changed to Israel. These are the Israel, sons of Israel, or the 12 tribes, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. I want to give you the conclusion. Don't, don't, don't get uh, happy. You say, Fritcher, are you going to be done in two minutes? No, but I, I didn't write the word wrong. We have a conclusion at the introduction. Here's the conclusion. I don't know if it's on the screen or not. Here's the conclusion in two parts. Blessed or blended families... And we, uh, we want to deal with this subject of the subtitle message the title is The Blessings and Challenges of a Blended Family. There is not a family in this room, even if you're a so-called nuclear family, that hasn't been scarred somewhere down the, in the, throughout the pecking order through your, your family tree lineage. We all come from flawed families. We come from the first flawed family whose first son murdered their second son. That's where, that's where our offspring comes from. We come from, uh, it started all over again, and we, we go to Noah, and, and uh, we have the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and, and uh, we know the sins of at least one of those sons there that it was spoken about. And, and uh, we come from these flawed lineages. And so blended families have many banes and burdens because they are put together by broken pieces. Broken pieces. In other words, blended families, a man or woman gets divorced and that man or woman and or woman marries another man or woman from another divorced family or what have you or even from a nuclear family, however you want to look at it. And there's pieces, there's stepchildren, there's stepsons, stepdaughters, there's in-laws, outlaws, and all the other laws as well. And we take broken pieces, we break them up, and then we try to put them together and then the more flawed the family, the bigger the family, the more, more brokenness there is. Tom Friedinger wrote a book called The Blended Family. He said this, one wrong assumption that blended families are like original nuclear families with just a few more people here and there can be hazardous to your mental health. Blended families have a more complex structure and extra problems which seem to descend from nowhere. There's a lot of titles I could have given this message this morning. When we think of Jacob's dozen, I insert dirty dozen, we could have entitled, I remember the, the, the television sitcom when we were kids, uh, young kids, us folks my age and older, My Three Sons. This story of Jacob could be my four, my four Moms. You know the story, many of you. Jacob had four moms. He was a polygamist, of course. And we, we see this the fact of the matter is, we started this series of messages with this delineating this truth that the families in the Bible are dysfunctional families. That's the rule, not the exception. Righteous families, there's none righteous, no, not one. Just as there's no righteous individual, and we heard that in Sunday school this morning, and there's no righteousness outside of Jesus Christ, there's no righteous families, there's no, no perfect families. If you think your family's perfect, you've got serious problems. The fact of the matter is, we're all, we're all marred by sin. We've all been stunned, we've all been flawed, and the more we fracture, the more flawed we are. I want to give you a threefold outline this morning. I have to hurry along this morning here, rapid fire. I'll make one more disclaimer, and then we'll move forward. I really need, we need really about 12 messages, honestly, for this one 
particular message on Jacob's dozen, Jacob's dirty dozen. But we're going to just do, again, a surface message, just an introductory message and a lot of self-homework if you want to take the time to study in detail the, the chapters from basically chapter 30 of Genesis all the way to chapter 50 and then all the way through the Old Testament and even today in the present era, the lineage of the, the family of Jacob who were all affected by and influenced by. And, but I want to give you, first of all, the growth of a blended family. The growth of a blended family. Jacob's does it in order of birth. Now Jacob, and I'm making assumptions here that most of you know he was a polygamist. He had two wives and two concubines. Uh, we see polygamy throughout the Bible. We also see polygyny. We don't use that word much, but it's interesting. Even the Mormons, most of them are polygynists as well as polygamists. And that's a polygynist is one that the father has the rights or the man has the rights and he has the harem. You never see one, uh, one woman with five men. Now we see all kinds of crazy things going on, of course. But there's some things that have been outlawed in our country. Polygamy has been one of them. Pledging is another one. Bigamy is another one. But we didn't outlaw, we never have outlawed divorce. And hence, we have one of the greatest breakdowns. God hateth putting away, the Bible says. I'm not trying to, I know who I'm talking to this morning. You say, preacher, don't hit me here. Don't hit me hard. Because we've, so many of us have been either directly or indirectly affected by, the, the, by divorce. And it, it destroys families, it destroys individuals, and it destroys churches, and it destroys countries. And I know that's hard preaching, but that's truthful preaching. And the fact of the matter is that there's flaws and they permeate and they ripple. There's a ripple effect throughout everybody that we touch. And this family is going to touch the world. We have to do this quickly here. We have just three points, but point number one, again, we could spend a couple hours easily, several hours, but we're going to have to do it in just a few minutes here. Jacob does it in order. First of all, we have A, Reuben. We have Reuben. He's born of Leah, the first of Leah. Remember Leah's tender-eyed. Jacob did not want to marry Leah. You know the story. Maybe we'll tell, tell it here in a little bit longer. He got tricked in to marrying Leah, of course, and you know he wanted to marry Rachel, the younger sister, and you know the rest of that story, most of you. But the firstborn of Jacob, Israel, his name's going to be changed to Israel. His firstborn committed incest. With his, uh, in Genesis 33, verse number 35, chapter, or verse number 22, I know this is disgusting, this is raw, and pardon the language, but this is naked. I mean, I'm just telling how it is. He slept with his father's wife or concubine, Bilhah. That's his firstborn. Your son sleeps with, your, your, with your, one of your wives. That's what happened. That's his firstborn. He talks about his firstborn. We don't have time to delineate, again, in parallel reading. Verses 4 through 27 of this chapter of Genesis 49. But let's move forward. So the first son commits incest. The second son, his name is Simeon. He's born of Levi, Leah as well. He only becomes a mass murderer. Maybe 20, maybe 50, maybe 100, maybe 200 men. We don't know how many men, but I, there was a, the, the Shechemites. You know the story. Many of you know the story. But trust me, it's recorded in the Bible Simeon took his sword with his brother Levi, and they went and they, they murdered men more righteous than them. It was murder, mass murder, statistical murder. You know, one murder is a, is a, a crime and atrocity. A million murders is a statistic, somebody said. These guys were mass murderers. Simeon was, uh, 
the first tribe to disappear, by the way, the southern. It was in one of the northern tribes, but it was in the most southern parts, part of Israel. Another day, another story. We had Benjamin, Judah, Benjamin, and then Simeon was in the lowest part down by what we know of today as the south of the Gaza Strip and just east of, of, uh, of Egypt, of course. First to disappear, Levi. Levi is the priestly tribe, right? Those good priests from Levi, mass murderer. So let's think real quickly, let's go quick here. Your first son commits incest with your own wife. Your second son is not just a murderer, but a mass murderer. Your third son joins him in mass murder. This is the sons of Jacob. You see why I call them his dirty dozen. Judah, let's go to Judah. Now we got some redeeming grace here in Judah, right? He's only, I mean, his two brothers were murderers, mass murderers, and one committed incest. Judah wasn't that bad. He was only a slave trader. So sold his brother, his own brother into slavery. Read the story. He committed adultery. I know this is graphic, but the Bible records it. He committed adultery with his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. He tried to hover, cover it up and hide it and says that she should be killed and then found out that he was an accomplice. Of course, now the story changed. And he was a classic liar, not one time, but hundreds of times every day of his life for 20 years. He lied to his father and daddy about Joseph being sold into slavery. He lied and said that Joseph was killed. You know the story. So let's review one more time. We got, uh, we got a liar, we got an adulterer, we got a slave trader, we got mass murderers, we got incest. And these are just the first three sons, first four sons. We get to Dan, and he's the son of a concubine named Bilhah. His name means, and we see the, the prophecy given, he's likened unto a serpent, a snake. Your fifth brother is, uh, has, uh, I, I've been to the ruins of Dan, the most northern part of Israel. You can see Syria with your naked eye. I stood in the trenches in this, where the, the Israelites had in the 67 and 73 war, and uh, the barbed wire is still there. And it's just amazing to see. But I went to the high places, the groves there in the, the ruins of ancient Dan. They were the first to fall into idolatry. They were the most idolatrous tribe. Almost got wiped out for their sin. You read, as for the last time I'll try to say it, we could have 12 weeks of messages on these 12 sons and what they, their posterity did and what they did because they learned it from their daddy. We get to Naphtali quickly for time's sake. Letter F, another second son of Bilhah. His name means to fight or to struggle. He was a scrapper and a brawler, evidently. And it was prophesied that he would be and he continued to be. We don't know much too much more about Naphtali other than he was evidently a nasty guy. We get to Gad. I'm sorry this is so depressing. Hey, I'm not talking about your family. I'm talking about somebody else's family, so chill out for a minute here. I'm not bashing your family. Anybody have mass murder in your family? Don't raise your hand. Murder, how about incest? How about adultery? How about liars, how about perpetual liars? How about a slave trader in your family? How about a snake in your family? How about an adulterer in your family? How about a, a guy that's always in trouble, a fighter, a struggler? Gad, he, his tribe, this tribe is eventually overcome by Syrians. Maybe he was the part in the slaying, the wussy or the pansy of the crowd, the boy that couldn't stand up for himself. But uh, one of the first tribes to be overtaken by the Assyrians for time's sake, verses, or number, uh, number, numbers 8 through 10, rather. Notice Asher was born to Zilpah, another concubine, Issachar to Leah, Zebulun to Leah. Well, all three of these tribes, the littlest is known about them, they were all insignificant. 
They never made much of a mark. We don't read too much about them throughout Scripture. But here's what we know about sons 8, 9, and 10, as we know about almost all the rest of them too. They all hated Joseph. So you got haters, you got adulterers, you got idolaters, you got murderers, you got incest. You name it, you got slave traders, you name it, you got it in your family. Now, if things can't get any worse, we get to number 11, and number 11 is Joseph. You say, well, preacher, what's wrong with Joseph? Well, think about it. He was, he's from Rachel, the preferred one, the preferred of the four wives of Jacob. He was favored above all the other sons. You know the story, don't you? Favoritism, we'll talk about it in just a moment here. And then number 12, as if it couldn't get any worse than it's already gotten, the last son, Benjamin, Rachel, son of Sorrows, Benomai, but then the son of my right hand, Jacob, renamed him. You know the story. He's the baby of the family. And everybody's got a baby in the family, right? How many here are the last born in your family? You don't want to admit it all of a sudden. You, you're, you're, you're the baby. And the baby always gets preferential treatment. The baby, baby has, and, and we see this in the life of Benjamin if we had time to play it out. Well, well we've seen the, the growth of a blended family. The more kids... The more growth, the more perversion, the more problems, the more sickness, the, the more insidious digression from the things of God and, and complications. Splendid families are not far from perfect families, and they're not the Brady Bunch, but this group is the baddest bunch. And so we get to Roman numeral two, and again, I have to hurry through this point because I want to spend our balance of time, of course, on point number three. Notice the grime, the grime or challenges of a blended family. First of all, the curses for a minute. Several curses, a number of curses or banes or, or problems with uh, a, a blended family. I, don't, I just listed four of them here. First of all, in blended families, there's a problem with conflicting family values of multiple parents. I'm not naive this morning. I know who I'm talking to, many in this room here, some of our best Christians. You come from one of these blended families. You've made a blended family. You're doing the best you can, hopefully, most of you. But you divorced so-and-so, and then maybe you divorced so-and-so, or they divorced you, however you want. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying what happens. And then you get together with so-and-so who was divorced from so-and-so who was divorced from so-and-so, and you got kids, your kids, their kids, the other people's kids, and then kids that don't even belong, and you got the foster kids, and we put them all together in one big basket. There's bound to be problems. It's life. And you have different family, multiple family values, multiple parents, multiple, multiple parents, multiple messages. I mean, with my so-called nuclear family, just my wife and I, Sonny and I, I mean, she would be the first to testify. She could preach this morning. She would tell you that raising our three girls. Now, see, as being dad, I had perfect three girls. Sonny didn't see my three girls as perfect. And I had a different parenting style. And Sonny, Sonny they're all older. They can all handle this now. She was more of the disciplinarian than I was. That's true. I'm confessing my sin or my righteousness, whatever, however you want to look at it. I love my girls. My wife disciplined my girls. I, I'm trying to be funny here, but anyhow. And when the girls couldn't get something from mama, they went to daddy. And when they couldn't get something from daddy, they went to mama. 
and I had certain values, and this is within a so-called nuclear family. And Sonny had certain values, and sometimes we, it's taken us 37 years, 38 years of marriage to get our values all together. I finally learned to just, I may be the head, but she's the neck, and I just learned to just, just go where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> Pardon me. I've learned there's no two parents a parent alike. Now you throw in four parents in that equation, or three parents, and you got issues. Uh, number two, we've got to hurry along. There's the pitting, and it's synonymous almost, but uh, it's a little different. The pitting of one authority figure against another, and I guess I already just said it. One authority figure over another. Now, you know, I, I use the grandchildren illustration, but I mean, we see it almost every day of our lives. Our, our girls are just, they're just too hard on our grandkids. We see it. They don't see it. They're just too young and immature. They don't understand what grandma and grandpa understand. And they, they just, we, we know better now. And yeah, amen. All the grandpas and grandmas say amen. What they can't get from mama, they can get from papa or from Mimi, whatever the case is. And what they can't get from, and they pit one against another. And they're experts at it. And we never even taught them how to do that, but they know how to do it. These boys knew how to pit one against another. And these boys of Jacob, Jacob's boys here I'm talking about. Number three, for time's sake again, let's move forward. There's a third grime or third curse or bane of, of blended families. And that's family, uh, partiality or favoritism of the true child over the stepchild. Or the, now you can fill in the blank and you can make your own chart, if you will. I won't ask for hand raising. I know we have people in this room that were adopted. We have people in this room that have, do- have adopted. We have people in this room that have raised foster kids. People in this room that raised stepchildren and then, then they're real children. We have people in this room that are stepchildren and have been stepchildren and on and on it goes. And I've pastored long enough and counseled long enough with not just a mom and a dad or a stepmom and a stepdad or a half-dad, and however you want to say it, and children to know that there's always conflict. They just keep that pot turning. Keep that thing moving. Turmoil, chaos all the time. And uh, favoritism, partiality. One child over the true child. And we need to love each other, unequivocal, unequivocal, I can't say the word. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to talk equally, of course. But we'll get to that equally here in just a few moments here. We'll come back to that for a moment. But number four, for time's sake, here we go. Here's the fourth curse of the grime of a blended family. That's competition for acceptance and superiority over another sibling. You know the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors? And he knows dreams that he had. And he went and he rubbed it in his brother's faces. He said, I had that dream and those 12 sheaves, your 12 sheaves are going to bow down to my sheave. And he, he told the story and he rubbed it in their face. And he came with his coat on. The teenage boy, maybe 17 years of age at the time. The, dad, the, the special coat that only he got. The coat of many colors, you know the story. And he rubbed it in his brother's faces. I'm accepted, you're not, ha, 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 ha. I'm loved and you're not. Again, my girls used to play that. They still, to this day, they still play that game in jest with their dad. Jessica tells me, you know, dad, you know I'm your favorite. 
and uh, and Kristen, and of course, and Laura. You know, she, you know, they, they they play this game on and on and on, and goes on. And I always tell them, "Yeah, you're my favorite." And then the next one comes in, "Yeah, you're my favorite." Yeah, you're you're my favorite. They're all my favorite. But they, they say, no, Dad, really, we know I'm your really favorite. And there is, and I, I, I just, let me just soften a blow here for a moment. I realize that there's people that many of you, even in this room, that have stepchildren or maybe have a, a, a foster child, what have you, and you've tried to do the best you can to love that child like your own, very own child, and you do, but it, maybe it's not, a, it's not saw, seen that way. Well, what are the causes? I have to hurry for the fourth time. I guess I've said that a sixth time. What are the causes of the or challenges of this, this grime of a blended family? Two causes will su- suffice for time's sake. First of all, there's the parent, parental partiality. Parental partiality. The Bible says in Genesis 25, verse 28, very succinctly, and Isaac loved Esau, the hunter, the man, because he did eat of his venison, but Jacob loved the sheep herder, the gentle boy with the soft hands, Jacob. Isaac loved Esau, but Mama, that's Rebecca, loved Jacob. You know the problems that happened because of that. Parental partiality. Where did, they, where did Isaac learn his partiality from? Maybe his daddy, Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, remember the story? We preached on it a couple, three weeks ago. Sarah connived that great, that incredible plan. She was supposed to give seed, give offspring. Of course, she's up on old age, and she says, maybe you're supposed to go into my handmaid, my concubine, Hagar. That'll solve the problem, right? That, that problem's been going on for 35 plus 100 years now because Hagar had Ishmael, and Sarah hated him, banished him. There's a group of about a billion people on planet Earth, more than a billion people, that wanted to see the extermination of the seed of Isaac to this day. They, they, they preach in their streets. 3,500 years later, they get together once a year in certain cities like in, in, uh, in uh, Tel- or Te- Tehran. They, they raise their fists and they cry out, death to Israel, death to Satan. It's still going on. Three plus millennium later. Parental partiality. Oh, the tangled web that we weave because of favoritism. But then, number two, the second and sufficing cause of, of curses and the grime of a blended family is generational pathology. Pathology is the study of diseases or sickness. Generational sickness, generational disease. 19 times in the Bible, you'll find a verse that says something like this. I chose Exodus 34 or 7 for time's sake. The Lord said he keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children and upon the children's children, that's the grandchildren, even until the third and fourth generation. This is hard preaching, but it's truth. You're a product of your parents or parent who is a product of their parents or parents. You're a product of your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And I just have one, for instance, I went to Bible college in 1976. My roommate, I mean, there's no such beast like this in 
fundamentalism any longer. But my roommate, two of my roommates, went to a church, a Baptist church that ran about 20,000 people in attendance on a bad day. On a good day, they run 30 or 40,000 people. City of Torrington. My roommate, my freshman year, he walked in. I, I had to have, he had to suits and ties at uh, Bible College in 1976 where I went to school. I, I never owned a suit, I never owned a tie. I went and I bought a, we had a place called Nichols. It was our version of uh, Walmart or Kmart. I went in and spent a lot of money in 1976 for my one and only suit jacket. It was $15. It was was a blue suit jacket. It had white buttons, and I had bright red pants. I was patriotic. I'm not making this up. That was my only suit I had. I could tell you stories. I could get you laughing if I could tell. It was a good storyteller. But by the guy named John walked in, his daddy pastored, brought, was responsible for bringing 15,000 people to church by himself in one day, in one Sunday. I mean, Sunday after Sunday. I tell you, so he, he filled 240 buses. You say, yeah, that was my roommate. He walked in with his 10 three-piece suits, his the blonde hair and blue eyes with the cheerleader girlfriend in the Corvette in the driveway, or not the Corvette, the Camaro in the driveway, or the, 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 the school of uh, our dormitory. He had it all. He had a dad, and I says, there's no chance for a guy like me. I came from little old Ohio, backwoods. My father's not even saved. My father's not a Christian. My father's not righteous. And here is this man, and I'll be elusive on purpose, but there's a handful of people that would, you know his famous father. He's since gone to heaven founder of a Bible college and a mega church in America. He's not even serving the Lord this morning, his son. Grew up with a daddy, one of the most famous preachers in America. It doesn't matter where you start from. But it matters how you finish. Your family may not be much, but with God, they can be great. There's generational pathology. You say, listen, you're kind of like my sister was here the other day. I'll tell you one more story. Oh, I'm looking more and more like my father. I wonder how that happened. I'm acting like my father. And some of you say, well, that's really great. Well, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm, I see the flaws I saw in my dad when I was a young person, I... I'm living now myself. We call it DNA. We all got, you all got your own set of DNA and it came from your father and your mother and your grandfather and your grandmother and great-grandfather. And, grand- and there's things that we gotta work through. Well, I wish I had time to, to delve into that. Why did Jacob do what Jacob did? Because Daddy Isaac did what Daddy Isaac did. Because Grandpa Abraham did what Grandpa Abraham did. And it followed generation after generation. Somebody's got to break the cycle. And there's hope. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a what? New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let me get to point number three. It's the meaning of the message. The grace to a blended family. Here is this messed up family, this hybrid family, this dysfunctional family, this murderous family, idolatrous Slave trading family, incestuous family, you name it, they got it in their family tree. It's all there. First generation. And I want you to consider, 
for the minutes that we have, the grace of a blended family. I'd like to spend a whole message on this, but here we go. Number one, consider the hunger. Gary Smalley wrote a book called Father Hunger. I stole this from his book. So these next five points should be good. They're not mine. They're, they're Gary Smalley's. Number one, hunger for the, father, for, father, the, for the Father's blessing, a desire to do five things. You see, let me say it this way. Every woman in this room, you desire the touch of a father. Whether you want to admit it or not, most of you would probably gladly admit it. You desire a touch. I'm not trying to be sensuous or dirty in any way, not, not on the contrary. But you desire a husband's touch. Can I just be blunt? I know it's not politically correct. You desire the touch of a male. M-A-L-E. It's a shame. Letter A. Five parts of this hunger, hunger uh, the father hunger. A meaningful touch. You see, Jacob, he touched. It's a shame that we can't touch anymore. It's pathetic. It's Politically correct society. We had girls, little girls come to the tent last night or yesterday during the day. It's too bad that Marty Pastor Shot can't just hug a little girl that doesn't belong to me and let her know that she's appreciated and loved. And there's all kinds of touches. There's something about a touch. It's a way of communication. Without ever saying a word, there's meaning in touching I want to take time to turn to Genesis 48, 9 through 14. We don't have time, but Jacob puts his hand on his grandson Manasseh's head, his, right hand, or his left hand on Manasseh's and his right hand on Ephraim's head, and he, he blesses them. Several touches, by the way. No, no room on your worksheet, but let me just give you different types of touches. There's the gentle touch. Aren't you glad we have a gentle shepherd? There's a loving touch. There's an approving touch. There's a guiding touch. There's, an, there's an, uh, a, a blessing touch. There's a whole, and there's ways to touch. I'm just going to say it. There's body parts that are all right to touch. And by the way, there's body parts that are not all right to touch. And there's body parts that are all right to touch if you're somebody Related or somebody in the context. And there's other body parts that are not related to touch. Part, I, we're adults, and let me just say it. I got six grandgirls. When they're little, you know, grandpa loves to hug them and he loves to pat them on the you know where and grab them in and pitch them a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. They love it, they need it, and it's wholesome. But not in this perverted society we live in. I might have made some of you nervous already. But it's too bad teachers can't touch students any longer. Coaches can't put an arm around a boy or a girl. Oh, no, that's taboo. That's child abuse. That's, 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 we're messed up, folks. And that's probably, some be- that's probably the best. I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back. That was good preaching. There's a meaningful touch. Let her be. I have to hurry along here. This father hunger invokes, and this is blessing, a spoken word. Everybody likes to hear a word of praise. A word fiddly spoken is like apples of gold. 
pitchers of silver. Hey, let me give you a verse here. You want to know how much Jesus, God, Jehovah God loves you? Yeah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. Spoken word, he speaks to us through his word. And it's sweet and it's comforting. It's soothing. It's encouraging and it's helpless, uplifting. It's helpless, helpless to go forward. It's spoken word. Oh, a spoken word of a father or of a husband. Uh, do you want another verse? Luke 15, verse 30. The prodigal, to the father in the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal older brother, Pastor Richard referenced it last week in one of his messages. The Lord said to the father in the story, in Luke 15, 31, said, Thou art ever my son, and all that I have is before thee. You will always be my son, you always have been my son. A spoken word. Once I was redeemed by, this, by, by Christ, I'm redeemed forever. I'm always his son, everlasting son. It's an expression. Uh, it's, a, it's a meaningful touch, his father hunger. And it's a spoken word, letter C, an expressing of high value, father hunger. You see, in chapter 49, that's what Abraham, or rather Jacob or Israel does. He expresses value, and he puts a value on every one of his sons. Now, somewhere in more negative than positive, verse 3. He gave the prophecy as well. That's another day, another, another story. You kind of know. And there's premonitions I believe God gives to parents and to grandparents as their kids, their kids grow up into childhood and adolescence. And you, you kind of see the direction they're going even at a young age. And you kind of know, hopefully you know, that, that boy, that girl, she's going to be a great dynamo for God. Or he's going to be... But others, you say secretly in your heart, they're heading for problems so they don't change their direction. Uh, Jacob saw that. He saw it in his sons. He had plenty. He was lived to be 147. He had time to figure it out. But an expression of high value. Letter D, a procurement of a special future. I love Psalm 23, verse 6 will suffice. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Our best days are yet ahead. Our heaven forevermore. I'm closer than ever before. I'm, I'm certainly more than halfway. I'm certainly more than probably three-quarters of the way. I doubt if I live to 90. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he's got a heaven prepared for me, a perfection prepared, prepared for me because I'm his child. He loves me, and he has procured my future. Letter E, an active commitment to see the blessings come to pass. If God be for us, who can be against us? I love how Brother Jim, almost always when I ask him to close in prayer, he, he prays that benediction with, from Numbers chapter 6, and for time's sake we won't turn there, but verse 22 and verse 26, and the Lord commanded Moses and to, to bless his people. The Lord bless thee and keep thee, make his face shine upon thee. And, and, and be thou, I don't know, I'm looking for help here. I can't quit all of a sudden here. I should have that memorized. There's a blessing, though. The number two and three, let's hurry along. You see, the grace of a blended family, there's the hunger of the Father's blessing, a desire for, and uh, that's this grace when Father gets involved in, in, in their children and their grandchildren's life. In their, in their spoken word, in their meaningful touch, in their expression of high value. Build up, don't tear down. 
in a procurement of a special future. God's got something special for you. And then in an active commitment to the blessing come to pass, live, in, live life. I, I used my, my stepfather just real quickly and we'll move on to point number two. But my, my stepdad, my, not my stepdad, my, excuse me, let me try that again. My father-in-law, excuse me, Sonny's dad, he was like a dad to me. Uh, he had seven kids. All seven got married. One's divorced now. But he not only had seven kids, but he had seven sons-in-laws and one daughter-in-law. And he was good to all of us. He always spoke good and, and wanted our blessings, our, 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 our benefit to, to happen to us. He wanted to be good to us, and he was good to us in so many ways. Always a sounding board. Always there. Finished his course of joy. Went to church every time he could go to church. The last several years, of course, he was bedridden. And, uh, and he couldn't go to church, but he was a godly man. He left that heritage. Number two, time's sake. Learning to help. This is a, the grace of, of a blended family. Maybe you come from a blended family. Learn to help those that hurt you. Genesis chapter 50. It's only one page. Turn over there quickly and just glance. Joseph, Jacob is dead. Israel is dead. And now the boys say, oh boy, now we're in a heap of trouble. Joseph's going to take it out on us. It says in verse number 17, the last part of the verse, that Joseph wept. The boys came to him and, and they, they begged for, their, for mercy and so forth. And Joseph said, I am in the place of God, verse 19. But he went on to say, verse 20, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass this, this day to save much people alive. God saw, Joseph saw the purpose and the hurt, the the desire of his own brothers to kill him and the desire of his own brothers to have him sold into slavery and hated him and lied about him for 20 years that he was dead when he was alive the whole time. And it says in verse number 21, I have to read that verse. The Bible says, Joseph said, I will, don't fear, fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. By the way, point number two, learning to help those that hurt you Joseph's brother, and like many people today, people that hurt others are almost always have been hurt themselves, and that's why they hurt. But Joseph turned it around. He had been hurt, and he decided to help. Sometimes he comes from a broken, messed up family, dysfunctional family like we all do. You say, I can have odd against my sibling, my half-brother, my, half, my stepsister, whatever, stepbrother, would fill in the blank. My stepmom, or you can say no, or I can be a blessing. You can choose to continue to be a burden and to have, to have uh, ought and have division and have nothing to do with that part of the family, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to return good for evil. I'm going to be kind to, because it's in the capacity, I, he that has received unmerited grace, that's redundant. Grace is always unmerited. He that's received unmerited grace ought to be a giver and a recipient, uh, uh, a depositor of unmerited grace to others as well. That leads me to number three here, and this is the punchline of the whole message, and I'm, I've hurried through this whole thing here. Considering the honoring of the unhonorable, I want you to see the verse here. We've hardly looked at any Bible verses. Look at chapter 49. It says 48, but I want you to look at 49. It's a misprint. Verse number 10, just one verse for time's sake. It says... This, to speaking about the prophecy given about Judah. 
Remember Judah the slave trader? Judah the adulterer? Judah the liar, the perpetual liar? That Judah. Look what God says about him. Look what Jacob, daddy, says about him. The scepter, or the crown, in other words, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from before his feet, between his feet until Shiloh, peace, comes, and, shall, and unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. Through this dysfunctional, hybrid, messed up, dirty dozen comes the Savior of the world. Doesn't get any crazier than that. When you think, and I want you to think, and here's the, the whole punchline, we're back to the conclusion. God is able to take dirty, dysfunctional people, people that deserve death, families that deserve, those murderers deserve to be executed, those idolaters and those adulterers and those incestuous people and those slave traders, they deserve capital punishment at the very least. And God, who is rich in mercy, called them from their dysfunctional mess said, I'm going to use you to bless the world. Another message another time, but Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. We're blessed because of those Jews this day. This very day we're blessed because of Jews. We're blessed because of God's people. They're hardened, they're hard-hearted, they're, they're lost, and they're not, they're, they're not, many of them are not in the, 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 the church of grace, the Gentile church of grace. They're outside the fold. They're lost. But one day God's going to take 12,000 from every one of these tribes. He's going to use them to evangelize the world. I'm not planning on being around for that time. It's called the seven-year tribulational period, a time of Jacob's trouble. He's going to use them to evangelize the world. And then he's going to, for all eternity in heaven, he's going to have their 12 names lifted up. He's going to call them kings and priests. And we get the way, by the way, just like Judah, we get to be priests, us hellions, us family members that were ungodly. By the Revelation 1, 5, and 6 I'm referring to. Unto him that washed us and loved us and washed us with his own blood and hath made us kings and priests. Unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's the honoring of the unhonorable. One day, you know, my name is written in heaven before the foundation of the world. Your name, if you're a child of God, has been written in heaven. For all eternity will shine as the brightness, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, as the brightness of the stars forever and ever. And look at the family that I came from. Look at the family that you came from. But by God's grace, what God, his marvelous infinite and matchless grace that he performed in your life, here's the good news. He can perform in your family's life, and in many cases he has. Christian, let's be found faithful. Maybe you're the only Christian in your whole family. Keep on serving God. Maybe you're the only Christian that's living, the only Christian, period. Keep on doing right. Your family, 1 Corinthians 7, is sanctified. You're the best thing that your family has, and they don't even know it, many of them. We, God gives his blessing to to even a dirty dozen, and make them the greatest family on the face of the earth. If we just put God, honor God, and then honors God, God will honor them. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, it's astounding when we think of this family, this 
really, from a worldly perspective, a very raunchy family, very, godly, very wicked family to whom much is given, much should be required. Lord, they did about everything bad they could do in the, whole, in the book. They did it. And their posterity did it. And yet, Lord, you especially, you loved them. And you chose them, and you're going to lift them up. And Lord, it's just like us. Lord, we thank you for your marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. I pray you bless in our moments of invitation and reflection this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to sing that song, Marvelous, Infinite, Matchless Grace. I think it's 241. I should have looked it up before.